Night racing is back at Richmond Raceway. This spring, top NASCAR drivers like Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, Bubba Wallace, Ross Chastain, and Virginia's own Denny Hamlin will battle under the bright lights. And this historic track also offers a rocking infield experience with unparalleled access to your favorite drivers and one of the best tailgate scenes around. For a weekend of friends, family, and amazing short track action, head to Richmond Raceway, March 29th through 31st. Get tickets now at richmondraceway.com. You are listening to AVFC Extra, a no-nonsense look at the club we all love. Brought to you by the Claret and Blue podcast. Hello and welcome to a new episode of AVFC Extra. I'm James Rushton and it has been a while, but we're back with a uh, special episode. Of course, we're here to speak about none other than Emiliano Buendia. It's a long-awaited Villa signing, kind of pre-announced last week, officially announced yesterday. It's been a wave, Argentina. It's it's been a whole thing. But now I'm here with David Hughes to go through the signing of uh, Buendia and what it means for Villa looking forward. Can they step into the elite with this player? Fingers crossed. Enjoy the conversation, David. Good to have you back on. How are you doing? Yeah, very, very, uh, very well. Thanks. I'm uh, looking forward to talking about Villa because it's uh, it's been a little while, hasn't it? And um, I've enjoyed it in the past. So yeah. Thank you for thank you for inviting me back on. No, anytime. I think it's always a pleasure. And uh, the comments seem to certainly love yourself and uh, Josh, who comes on occasionally. So uh, all good, all good. But uh, first things first, mate. I did want to have a, a brief mention of Ross Barkley before we get into the main event because, <laughs> look, I don't think I don't think he landed as quite, quite as well as we thought he would. He did all right in bits, spells, drabs, but I think we expected more, mate. Yeah, you know, initially, that first few weeks, um, basically everything pre-the injury, uh, I thought he looked really good, exactly as we predicted. Um, Just what Villa really needed, you know, we talked about alleviating some of that creative pressure on Grealish, and I thought he was doing that. You know, certainly the underlying numbers showed that he was. um, And it looked like it was going to be a good campaign, but I actually wrote a piece on him. going into the final few weeks mm. of the season, more from an Everton perspective, um, just because there's still interest there to see how he's, how his career has progressed. And especially this year with him going to Villa, you know, similar size club, um, a, a decent squad around him, you know, would this kind of be that, that building block, I guess. And you have to say it, it just didn't play out like that. I don't know what's got, if the stuff may be going on outside of football, which means he's not giving it all his determination know kind of fulfilling the potential he clearly has uh but yeah it was disappointing to see to be honest because as i said i thought he started really well and i thought it was a deal on paper that looked to be a, a very good one and like, like yourself james i expected a little, little bit more ironically then i think the main event here the reason we're speaking today could be technically a replacement for ross barkley certainly someone who can f- perform on on the right wing for villa but someone you can have an impact centrally it's of course emmy buendia uh, villa's new record signing I, I spoke to you mate uh, i think last saturday when there was a rumbling of it and then it was like pre-confirmed only being confirmed yesterday and i said i'm, I'm shaking this guy's brilliant mate so initial thoughts uh, I'm, I'm i'm on cloud nine a great piece of business uh a lot of clubs have been linked not even just in the last couple of months, you'd say for the best part of maybe 12, 18 months, because he was, and I'm sure we'll come on to it shortly, he, he was doing it in, in the Premier League for what was a side he really struggled when they were here in Norwich. Uh, he was still producing to the level. So there was interest in, 
it looked as if maybe 12 months ago uh, he would have stayed in the Premier League with a, a better side. Uh, it didn't play out like that. He's obviously gone down to the Championship, carried on producing at a really high level. Attracted interest, you know, Arsenal seemed like a club who were heavily linked, maybe even favourite at one point. But Villa have come in and, and, and they've landed him. And yeah, OK, we talk about the, the transfer fee, you know, record signing for the club. But... It certainly has the potential to be a really, really good move. And, uh, you know, hats off to Villa. I, I really like this like this song. I think he's uh, he's exactly what, what the squad needs. I'm going to have a little bit of a ramble here before I get into this one. It's only a little brief question, but £35 million initially, thereabouts. Seems like a lot of money, but I think Villa spent that amount or more on, on uh, Jonathan Codger, Ross McCormack and Scott Hogan altogether to fill the one position. So... For me, it seems like an incredible value. Is he, is he worth every penny to Villa, David? In my opinion, yeah, because you've just listed three players there that combined, you know, won't really bring the um, the influence or output onto the team that I think Wendia has the potential to do. You know, if you, you go back to that uh, campaign with Norwich in the Premier League, he was right up there in terms of, you know, shot-creating actions. He had Grealish, who was producing more than five shot-creating actions per 90. De Bruyne was up there. But beyond that, there wasn't many. That that, that output was certainly more than, say, you know, Bruno Fernandes, James Madison. You know, these players that you really see as these creative forces. And he was producing a little bit more than that. So if, if you think of what he can actually bring to this Aston Villa side next season and beyond, given his age, just 24, then uh, it, it could be a really good investment. And you could either have them for a few years or you could, you could be having for only a couple, but you're selling for a really big profit because the chances are you're going to double your money if he goes goes on to be the player that, that we're all expecting him to be with another couple of years in the Premier League. So I think it was a wise investment, I'll be honest. We've all seen the compilations and the highlight reels. I think uh, a few Villa fans have mentioned his, his little link up with Pukey, the little flick on, and you think, oh, he's not going to bother now. He's done, he's done the business. He gets on the end of it for a, a goal. It's Pukey doing the hard work with the assist. Um, what type of player is he, though? Uh, I think that there's a lot of kind of split opinion on what he actually does. Um, so, David, who is Buendia as a player? Yeah, well, he's um, <clears throat> he's touched on some of it there, but obviously on paper, he's a right-sided attacker. Um, but he's not he's not what you'd say a traditional winger, is he really? He's not the type of player that you'd expect to pick the ball up, drive down the flank and swing it in. He's uh, just a lot more of a... What well, just a, a lot more of a fluidity to his game. You know, he pops up in deeper locations, in central locations. Really difficult uh, for the opponents to track his movement. He's he's everywhere really. And then when he's in possession, he's got a ton of output. Lots of dribbling, lots of uh, passes into the penalty area, lots of switch balls. Um, just a real creative player. He's a little bit like. Um, and I'll, I'll use this comparison cautiously because they're not the exact same player stylistically at all. But he's a bit like what Fernandez is uh, for United. You know, he's just a real threat at all times in the opposition's half. You know, he's got this real kind of creative output, attacking output, and uh, and, and he's got all of that. Wendy has got all of that. Um, you know, even last season in Championship, first the chances created, first with big chances created. And the best expected assist per ninety across the whole division. No, that's a that's a top top player because the championship isn't easy. We've seen examples of players making that step up from the championship to the Premier League and doing really well. You know, you only have to look at Ollie Watkins. Obviously, a really good example. Um, I think he 
that he has this player profile that can go on to be just as a success, if not more. The, the thing that we come on to Buendia in terms of weaknesses, what's mentioned a lot is that the temperament, um, it's something that I don't necessarily buy. Um, uh, David, it, it's something that you see, and it's like it, it came up, I think, in his time at Spain because he opted to play for Argentina rather than Spain, and all of a sudden there's temperament because he was kicking off from the pitch and doing this and that. But all I see is a, is, a, is a real crafter, to be honest, and a person who's only headed in the right direction because of not only his talent but like the work ethic and his passion for the game. So, aside from that, would there be, be any weaknesses that stand out in his actual game? You know, he's got a fairly High average in terms of fouls, playing 90, about 1.56. Uh, that's quite high for an attacker playing his role. Um, six yellow cards across the season. His, his play without the ball is quite aggressive. And I just think a lot of that is a, a consequence of it. It also leads to positive things such as turnovers. And he forces a lot of them playing for Norwich. You know, he wins the ball in good areas. And because of the quality he has in possession, uh, he can quickly turn that into really good counter-attacks in good areas. I guess one 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 thing that I think might have put people off, to be honest, James, uh, which seems a little bit old school, but I feel like in the football world it still carries some weight. Is obviously he's not the, he's not he's not the biggest, is he? You know, he's about five foot seven, five foot eight. His profile is quite small, and I, I think some clubs may be inclined to think that he would be able to deal with the physicality of the Premier League. Now. We already know that he can because he's done it. He's also competed in a, another really competitive league in the championship. So for me, that shouldn't be an issue. But I do believe that could have been enough maybe to, to put some other potential, potential suitors off him. But where does he fit in at Villa in your eyes? Because I think fans have a lot of opinions. You know, he seems to have an impact centrally, as we said. Perfect replacement for Ross Barkley in that instance. Mm. On the right is a, is a natural position, but, you know, as good as he is, there's a, there's depth there for Villa, and you know it's not terrible depth. It's depth for, in in terms of Silky Bertrand Traore and uh, Anwar El Golzi, who, who've had an impact this season. You know if whether they can you know can continue improving is, is another question entirely. But it seems like Villa have got an option on the wing, in the middle, and God forbid if if Jack Grealish isn't available again, soon he can probably even fill in on the left if he wants. It's just I think having that option apart from Super Jack Grealish, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it just brings uh, another dimension to the to the Villa, you know, attack from a creative point of view. Obviously, he's got some output in terms of scoring goals himself as well, but just specifically, I think there's more creativity there. You know, if you think of like fantastic player, you know, you have got definitely got depth on that right side, but it's different profiles, isn't it? Um, you know, you, you are looking more like the say traditional kind of wide man profile on that side, whereas he obviously brings something a little bit different. I think, the, you know, if you look at a good example, might have been Everton with Rodriguez, uh, James Rodriguez. They they obviously had him playing on the right, even though he's obviously more of a number 10 profile, but um, it just opened things up a little bit. So it could just be a case of perhaps it's going to vary. And because he's, so, he's so versatile in the attack and third, he doesn't need a set position. He doesn't need to be playing on the right every single week. It could be he could be on the right, or maybe he'll come into that kind of number ten role because we know we do it really well. Uh, you know, maybe if in those games Villa might need a bit more penetration on the right. You know, a little bit more of a direct runner. So that's when he comes in that number ten position. Maybe they're going to see more of the ball and, and, and might need someone to 
pick the lock, so to speak. So maybe you'll you'll put Wendy back out on the right in that game. It's just that's the beauty of them. You've got a versatile player in the attacking third, and they're not always easy to find them. So to to be bringing them in, you can just give you so many different options, fill so many different holes. It's a uh, it's just another it's another benefit of signing this player. So I think that leads us on to a, a really weird point for me to kind of push on you, but a lot of the talk you hear about Buendia, the versatility that you know the way he can fit in, you know how flexible he's across the front. A lot of people see this signing, see the money, and go, Jack Grul, who's gone then, isn't he? I, you know, as a neutral, I don't know, you, you got kind of a soft spot for Villa, I guess, and for, <laughs> for Grealish. But would you see that then as a, as a warning signal that, hang on, I've bought this guy because Grealish is going? No, not necessarily. Uh, I think, I think sadly, that's that's always going to be a risk, isn't it? Because, um, unfortunately, Grealish is an elite player. And as you've just pointed out, I like Villa, so I'm not in any way, you know, taking shots at them, but... Villa are not in the elite bracket right now. You know, they're not a team who's competing in the Champions League year in, year out. Grealish has that potential to be doing that. And I think, sadly, there's there's a food chain in football. Uh, and the, if the really, really elite clubs want to throw money at, at Villa and they want to bring Grealish in, then, then that's always going to be a risk. So, on one hand, I can understand why this could be seen as some form of contingency plan, you know, plan B for the Grealish does go. But I also think Villa have just proven to be quite smart, or, you know, in recent times. Recruitment's been, certainly over the last 12 months, I think recruitment's been really good. Even the movement, moves that haven't worked out, say Barkley, on paper, you could see why they've done it. And Villa are quite reliant on Grealish, to say the least. You know, we, we know that everything almost follows through him in attack. Uh, and that causes issues particularly say he's not available like like he wasn't for a long period of that final third of the season. Okay, Villa finally felt like they were adjusting a little bit as the weeks progressed, a little bit stronger without him. But I watched them. I mean, you, you may correct me, James, but I watched them a couple of times when he first went out to side and he looked completely different to, yeah. to the team I'd, yeah, I'd watched, you know, in, in the months previous. Um, I spoke to a Villa supporting friend of mine uh, when when they played Goodson Park, and I thought they played really well in that game. And he said that's he hasn't really seen that that Villa kind of performance for you know a couple of months. So <clears throat> it just shows without Grealish on the side, Villa aren't the same team. And um, you know to to deal with that, you've you've got to try and bring in another profile who can who can offer what he does. I think that's what try to do. Bring more balance into the team when they're both on the pitch at the same time. Even better, you know, double-edged sword. But they're just alleviating some of that pressure on Grealish. And as I said, I think it, they're building for him to also be in the side as opposed to a replacement. Future certainly bright with both of them. But uh, the man Buendia, we're speaking about, he he excelled in the championship last season. You know, full credit to Norwich. Absolutely no disrespect. You know, yourself as Everton, myself as Villa. Don't want to be like bouncing down on them. But uh, I can't <laughs> believe he was still there, mate, after the Premier League season. Does it again in the Championship. Seems to be improving all the time, doesn't it? Yeah, I think that was huge, to be honest. Now, obviously, we know that uh, we did the Amazon, the, the play, the, 
he was where uh, Getafe um, we'd heard he was a good player obviously done really well with that move not coming to fruition it was almost a big season back in the championship you know it was a kind of is he as good as he looks you know is he re- can he prove that he's doing it now year in year out as opposed to maybe one or two good seasons and obviously goes back into the championship probably a little bit disappointed himself that he didn't get a move um, and goes to just be a top top player again the beauty from a Villa point of view James is he's he's just 24 you know he's got a lot of senior minutes under his belt now and he's he's not even in his prime years yet so it's uh it's just really exciting you know thinking about what what can what can come next and this player who as I said he's he's played in England now for two or three years and he's he's performed really well when doing so okay we know some of that was in a you know the second tier but you know the championship as you as you'll know actually being Villa fans and watching Villa in that league it's it's a tough tough division you know it's not walking the park um so for him to compete as well as he did it's just a testament to him the last campaign to the mainstream stands out that championship campaign I think most football fans will be aware of the danger that Wendy opposed in the championship but I think the one that goes under the radar is probably the, the better one in the Premier League. The, the one before when, when Villa were in danger of going down themselves, so that's 1920. You know, in that Norwich team that kind of just sailed, you know, they were far gone. They settled for it. They, were, they were acknowledged the relegation situation probably in like January odd. Villa hammered mm. them uh, once in the season, beat them again uh, at a critical point as well in December. So, you know, Norwich were gone, but there's this one player standing out in, in every key statistic for an attacking player. I think he was in the, the top 10. Yeah, he was in the top 10 for progressive passes expected and assists, key passes, shot-creating actions, players dribble pass and, and through balls. And this is a guy who, you know, no offence to Norwich, was mucking about one of the worst teams in the league. You know, and he was giving Jack Grealish a run for his money. I expect in a few of them categories, mate, he surpassed probably Grealish in a few of them. I think there was there's a thing going around that in the December. So when Norwich were kind of getting ready to, you know, see see in twenty twenty as the relegation year, I think he outdone Andrea Perlo as as the, the player with the most kind of uh, chances created or something like that in a single month. Which is just you know, it's mental. Um so he's he's yeah. clearly proven he can do it at the top tier. Yeah, exactly. And and, and you know, you, you touched on it earlier and you were absolutely spot on. This is why it was so puzzling that um, that he never got really a move at the at the end of the season. Um, certainly in the kind of quote unquote analytical community, you know, he was he was the kind of buzz player. He was the player everybody was waiting to see where he ended up. Um, it went on for months in the summer. You know, where's he going to go? What, what? Who's moving for him? Surely he's not going to stay at Norwich. No way he's going to stay at Norwich. Hold on a minute. He, he stayed at Norwich, <laughs> and then it's kind of. As a result, we've had this prolonged uh, repeat of where's he going to end up? Where's he going to end up? He's still doing really well, and and then yeah, obviously he ends up going to Villa, which is just fantastic news for Villa. But yeah, it was really puzzling because he he proved himself, as you said, at Premier League level, which is tough. But then to do it at the worst side in the division in that campaign, a side who I can't remember the underlying numbers specifically from an attacking point of view, but I think they really struggled off the top of my head. You know, goals were in short supply. Um, and, you know, he was the only one, really, who was providing the, the big attacking kind of input. Um, so, it's, it's perplexing. I think 
there's still the stigma of about buying plays from relegated sides. You know, you're still here, maybe more down the pubs and then say conversations we're having or conversations people who are listening now might have, but you're still here. Like, like well, if you're so good, why did you get relegated? Which is ridiculous because there's so many success stories from, you know, from buying really good players from relegated sides. And may, again, maybe that's what put, pe- put people off making a move for them last summer. Um, but, you know, he's a... Uh, he, he more than proved himself. I've got to put you on the spot again. You've been on the spot the whole podcast, to be fair, mate. <laughs> but was he on your radar at all during his time in Getafe? But I remember him being linked to Liverpool at that stage. I think it was just one of the ones that pops up on Liverpool or interested in a £900,000 move for Getafe misfit Bendir or something. And he turns up at Norwich and people, you can go on the comments of the announcement at Norwich and people are like, oh, he was linked to this and that. And so he must be good. Another thing, people thinking, who's this guy? Um mm. So uh, yeah, he looked like he had a little pathway at the time, and it just completely eroded. And he ends up at Norwich. You, you know, Stuart Webber done a fantastic job turning that club around in the recruitment department. So they've they've done a job there, mate. But was he on your on your radar in those early? Yeah, years? I was just laughing, thinking, had we had this conversation, you know, at the time, I would have really struggled because although I'd uh, although I'd heard the name, especially with on, on social media with the accounts that I follow, you know, the ones who have a real big focus mm. on on scouting and more of that, you know, I guess you a little bit more of a wider view of leagues across Europe, because whilst I like to think I have my finger on the pulse in that regard, the reality is you're watching a lot of Premier League football because it's part of our job. Uh, it's, you know, it's the main teams that we cover. Um, you're looking at championship football. You're trying to look at the, the big, what the big teams are doing. There's just so much football going on that you, you you can't be across every every player coming through, and if if you say you are, then you, you're probably a liar. Um, so I'd, I'd heard the name, but I'd, I I knew very little of. I just I'd heard that there was this player, you know, Liverpool link put it on my radar a little bit because um, I'm always panicking that they're going to buy really good players, and they normally do. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, the, the thing I, I'm glad that you pointed out Norwich and Weber and stuff because for me, there's. There's a couple of, well, there's a few clubs really that it, there's almost a seal of approval on a, a potential player if they've been recruited by this said team uh, or, you know, come through our specific club. I think in the Premier League, I'd put Brighton in that bracket. I think Brighton have proven to be a really good club at recruiting players. You know, I think they're a really well-run club. Uh, you'd probably put the likes of Brentford in there uh, for what they do. Um, Norwich make make it as well. You know, I put Norwich in that group, and then you've got bigger clubs like I think Lille, really good. Uh, the Red Bull group, obviously, really good. Bringing bringing through. So, yeah, it, when you see players going to the likes of Brighton, Norwich, and those kind of clubs, they always get a little bit more respect from me. And to me, I always think, okay, there's something here that has made put them on that club's radar and made them um, interesting enough for that that club to make a move. So going to Norwich is a as I said, it's a it's a positive sign about his prospects. And obviously we've since proven that, you know, it was another good piece of business by by the club and uh, they've made a handsome handsome profit on. So I think it makes an odd point about scouting, doesn't it? That, you know, when Diaz there, he's went for about one and a half million to Norwich. 
he could have went last season. Now he's going for a massive fee. And look, Arsenal were the club linked to him. They can say they weren't, whatever. You know, we, we've all read the reports. We've all seen the insider information. For close to a year now that Arsenal have been interested in Buendia, they didn't shoot their shot in January. They certainly didn't shoot it now because he's a Villa player. It's, it's just mad. Even Villa lose out here a little bit because they've got their man fantastic, really proud of him, brilliant. He's going to hopefully have an amazing Villa um, career at Villa and take us to the next level. But still... He's a player going for a record amount that went for one and a half million a few years ago. You can't tell me that not everybody had that chance to have this player. The, one, one of the most prized assets, I think, in the Premier League at, at this point. So it's just a bit mad. Is he? Are, are these big clubs looking in the wrong places? I mean, Villa have got the wealth to spend now. They can they can push up, but it's still a confusing issue, isn't it? You know, who, who's going to get the, these Buendias, the next Buendia at one and a half million? Mm-hmm. Is it, is it going to be Norwich with the Buendia cash? Or is it going to be, you know, are, are, are Arsenal going to learn a lesson? Are Spurs going to learn a lesson? Because it, it doesn't look likely. I, I, I've got I've got a kind of two pronged answer to that, um, and the first I think is is big clubs for me, especially when they, when they have money, just become really lazy. Not all of them, of course. I think there's other like Liverpool have done quite well recruitment, but even even Liverpool, Liverpool are probably recruited really well because their owners aren't very free spending, are they? You know the quite um they've got tight purse strings shall we say you know if you if you kind of look at a lot of other clubs across europe they're very lazy and that that's why you're seeing them struggle so much all of a sudden financially you know you look at real madrid uh like real madrid just going off buying hazard playing all kinds of money for, for hazard uh coutinho you know barcelona buying coutinho how many times have barcelona have done that juventus the same they just they don't seem to overly focus on trying to build really good squads of you know gems who are coming through. They just seem to throw money at things. Same with managers like you know Real Madrid need a new manager. Let's bring in Carlo Ancelotti. You know, and it's just I, I think even at clubs are level. I use Everton as the example because ironically, I touched on it early in the show. I think Villa have done some good stuff in the, in the past twelve months recruitment wise. But I use Everton as an example. Everton were really good. Uh, kind of mid-noughties, even the early part of the last decade in terms of buying players with very little money and building a really good squad. The um, Moshiri, their current major shareholder, comes in around 2015, a ton of cash, and suddenly you think, here we go, this is the this is the club about to close the gap on the Champions League and probably start competing in it year in, year out. That summer, um, or was it 2017, sorry, uh, he increases the stake in that summer. Everton go and spend $140 million in the summer. But the the buy players who yet are okay on paper, good players on paper, but certainly nothing unheralded, nothing that you go, okay, who's this? You know, is this a, is this the next Wendy, for example, if he was relevant at the time? You no, know, you're paying like $30 million for Pickford, who just spent a year in there in the uh, Premier League with Sunderland. Uh, Rooney, you're bringing in Rooney, who I, I don't know if they paid the transfer fee, but you're paying a lot of wages for that player. Michael Keane, a player who had a bit of, you know, a little bit about him because he'd been at Burnley, brought in a little bit of attention. Um, Davy Klassen, you know, just had a really good run with Ajax in the Europa League. So he was the captain. Everyone knew that. It was just... Gilfie Sigurdsson, you know, another player. Oh, yeah, decent attacking midfielder for Swansea. Let's pay four to five million for him. Never worth it. Just just laziness. Uh, and I think that's part of the problem, James, that uh, 
rather than trying to keep building those, you know, uh, closing the small margins or sorry, having small margins in place to, to cl close that gap and using the, the 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 money to enhance it, the money just becomes the answer, and it it, it just it, it's it's a big issue. Um, and the second part is, I guess, ultimately, I, I think some clubs are cautious about being the being the side that they develop and rear a player who, who isn't quite there, who's still a little bit raw because you have to be competitive week in, week out and you can't really afford to let someone play six or seven games and not really play that well because they're still learning. So I think a lot of them prefer to have the polished diamonds. You know, they'd rather have Brendia now after two years of being fantastic than Brendia two years ago who hadn't yet proved prove himself in England. Makes a lot of sense, I think, but the, the door is then open for like your, your Villa especially to another extent, Everton, to a much lesser extent, your Newcastle. These clubs that can garner the backing, can you know, they do have the might to get back up there. To put like clubs like Arsenal on notice, I think the the thing that stands about out about the Brendia thing is, you know, for for close to a year, he's literally been in the palm of Arsenal's hand just to go, yeah, we'll have him, and they haven't. And Villa have just walked in, offered less cash to the player himself, made you know. Joanne Lange pitched the project to him, told him where he's going to fit. They took kind of that that Brentford element, that 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 just that the effort, the work made in not mm. just recruiting the player but convincing them. You know that that's what Spurs did to Villa back in the day when Deli Ali turned up. No one was showing Deli Ali around. Body more, he goes to Spurs. They make the presentation, they get their player, and it benefits them. Now it's a time for other clubs. You know, West Ham as well to put clubs like Arsenal on notice. You know. Do like Arsenal? They're one of my favourite teams. Growing up watching the the Invincibles, but as a Villa fan, as an Everton fan yourself, you you want us to put as to the Super League stuff as well. You want us to put them now, nah, and this is a you know this is a major warning shot as I see it to put them on notice. And I know the financial backing between Villa to Everton to Newcastle is different. Leeds as well, but you know there's got to be a change in the guard eventually. And this this you know these techniques, the scouting techniques that's the recruitment techniques and the backing that, that a club like Villa has now, it seems like is Buendia that step now to push him into the LA? Is, is that is that what could happen? You, you, you'd hope so, wouldn't you? Uh, and I think you just make a really good point in general there because uh, these clubs like uh, like like Villa, Evans, West Ham's, they're trying to close a gap on a, on six sides who are so far ahead revenue-wise and so much more that it's really hard. So what can you do if you haven't got, if you can't, you know, if you haven't got that revenue coming, you've got to find angles in other places. And, you know, just that personal touch is giving you an edge over them. Um, you know, if you're talking about on the pitch things, maybe it's focusing more on set pieces. You know, it's, it's all about just finding the, the edges and maximising what you've got to try and close the gap because you can't do it financially. Um, and in terms of recruitment, I think you make a really good point. You know, I'm not saying this was the official lines coming out of Arsenal, but I know there was this kind of, when they are 30 million, oh, you're joking, aren't you? Why are we paying that much for, for, for the championship player, for the Norwich player? As I said, this might not be the official line from, from the club or, you know, maybe it could have been. Who knows? Maybe there was a bit of uncertainty there about paying that much. Whereas, it, you know, if that's getting fed back to the player and he's thinking, you know, I'm, I might be facing a bit of an uphill task at Arsenal if I go there. Or to Aston Villa, who were making me feel really wanted, you know, they're selling it to me, how important I'll be for this side. The, the, the fans really want me there. Wh which are you going to go for? Obviously, you're going to go for Villa. Um, and it, it, well, 
he's clearly had that decision and he and he's chose Villa, hasn't he? So uh, I think he's spot on. The players seem to be getting there at the Villa. We'll see what the window brings. Um, so hopefully, that, and, and Wendy is here as now, so we can hopefully start closing that gap. But I just wanted to finish off, mate. I just wanted to know what is your outlook on Wendy at Villa? Any predictions you can make? What what's his kind of season going to look like? Do you think? Well, obviously we haven't got a crystal ball, have we? So yeah. it's uh, you can never never be sure. But all you can really do is think of it from the scouting perspective. You know, think about what the recruitment staff of Villa would have been thinking and. Everything up until this point suggests going forward, he's going to be a top player. You know, he's he's got the potential to have a transformational impact almost on that on that Villa attack. Maybe even you know you, you'd be thinking if you look at the I, I just use this metric because it's easy. If you look at the shot creating actions, it's got the potential to kind of double what what Villa have been producing. You know, put put another Grealish level player in in there, which can only have a positive impact on. The goal return, especially when you've got reliable forwards like Watkins up there and other good attackers as well. So everything suggests he's going to be really successful next season and beyond. On top of that, touched on it earlier, he's 24. You know, Villa know the place in the food chain, but we're talking about this 35 million. You could get two or three fantastic seasons out of him and then go and sell him for double that. And that's really smart business. You know that's that's another way how you kind of recruit recruit uh, finances coming in. You know, and then you can go and find the next player, and it's a bit of conveyor belt. Then, uh, you know, of basically bringing in these great players, getting your use out of them, and if you do lose them, get a, get a lot of money in so you can go and you know buy a suitable replacement. So uh, outlook career, I think he yeah, I think he will do well, and I hope I'm not going to jinx it like I did with Barkley. <laughs> Well, uh, win-win for Villa, win-win for the podcast, having you on, mate. So uh, always a pleasure. Oh, where, where can people find you if they want to kind of book you about Buen- and Barkley and, and Buendia as well? Yeah, don't ask me about Barkley, please, people. Just say, yeah, he's, uh, <laughs> I'm done with that one. Uh, I don't know where he's going to end up, but certainly Buendia, yeah. Just uh, you find me on Twitter at Hughes underscore. Yeah, probably the best place. I'm on Instagram under the same at as well, if, if people prefer that platform, but... Yeah, just uh, do get in touch. You know, it's good to talk. A lot of the stuff I talk about mainly is is around the Merseyside clubs because more of my followers are Merseyside based. But I do really enjoy talking about clubs like Villa. So, you know, get in touch by all means. Thank you for listening to AVFC Extra, an additional dose of Aston Villa content for you, brought to you by the Claret and Blue podcast team. If you enjoyed the episode, please do get in touch with us, get involved in the comment sections, tweet us at Claret Blue Pod, or leave us a review on iTunes. We really do appreciate it. We'll catch you again very soon with some more content. Until then, up the villa. Aston Villa.